Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, I'm Michael Chakraverty. And I'm Mark Watson. And this is the Menkind Podcast. We're going to take a deep dive into masculinity, exploring what being a man actually means, along with a variety of brilliant guests. You know, men talking about men is a notoriously underrepresented area of podcasting. Not anymore. So at last, we do have the James McVeigh episode that we misleadingly advertised a couple of weeks ago. What we don't have in this bit is Michael. Remember Michael, the um, the other guy? Uh, he's obviously in the podcast, but he's not in this introducing bit because during this Christmas period, I'm afraid he's come down with, um, well, for want of a better word, tonsillitis. So I'm introducing it all by myself. Get well soon, Michael. But that's enough about Michael. It's not with the greatest respect about him. It's about James McVeigh. Do you have uh, another deadline at 10? So I'm live with Japanese fans at 10. Ah, <laughs> uh, one of those problems. Yeah. It seems like a weird time to do, but it's not a weird time if you're in Japan, no. I suppose. I don't know what Japan time is. Eight or nine hours or something, probably. Something like that. Put it this way, <laughs> it's vamped o'clock pretty soon in Tokyo. <laughs> so there you go. And now let's listen to me and a healthy Michael talking to James McVeigh. So, as, as always, really, I'm Mark Watson, and as always, he's Michael Chakraverty, and we're joined... Today, by none other than James McVeigh. Hi, James. Hello. How's it going? Well, currently good. I mean, we've had quite a few technical issues this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Without wishing to bore the listeners, we've had quite a few problems with things like Zoom and clean feed. But here we are. Words uh, I didn't know what they were before 2020. Anyway, hello, James. Could you tell everyone who you are, please? Yeah, my name is James McVeigh. I play guitar in a band called The Vamps. Just a little band. Not very well known. <laughs> yeah, to put this into perspective, we're having this chat with James reasonably quickly because he has to go and talk to fans in Japan in just over half an hour. Obviously not actually going to Japan, but virtually. Yeah. And it's the first guest we've had who has Japanese fans waiting, I think. <laughs> I mean, both of us are sort of at least have a, enough of a public profile that people are aware who we are mm. and stuff. But is it odd trying to picture like huge numbers of people in countries that you don't even know is it odd to feel that there is an image of you that is shared by that many people that you have no idea who they are uh i think it was in the early days we started the vamps in well i met our singer in 2011 and i think it was bizarre because in that kind of infancy of the vamps brad and i and tristan the drummer when it was just three of us we were doing kind of things and putting it on youtube yeah before we really had like a, a proper record deal and 
we could see like the insights on Facebook. It was back in the day when like we used Facebook as our main platform. And I remember having to like persuade our drummer Tristan to get Instagram. He was like, what's Instagram? And it's funny now looking back. <laughs> and I remember looking at- It was of, worth it probably looking back. Well, yeah, yeah. But I, I remember seeing like the geolocation thing of where we have fans in like the Philippines, for example. Yeah. And Japan were two big markets for us. And we had like more people listening to us in the Philippines than we did in the UK. And we were like, we've never been there. That's crazy. You know, there's certain certain countries growing up that you, I guess see on TV and, and, you know, whatever you think you sort of know what America maybe looks like because we've never been or maybe Australia. But like for the Philippines, I genuinely growing up in like Dorset, I had no idea what it was like in the Philippines. Yeah. So I think, yeah, we did have like quite a few months of trying to like visualize sort of the faces as you say of people that are listening to us and it was just amazing and it just meant that when we did eventually go to a lot of these territories it was mind-blowing so yeah quite weird it's mad you don't grow up in dorset thinking i imagine i'll be huge in the philippines at some stage (laughs) (laughs) no no (laughs) i'm gonna dive straight in with some masculinity questions james growing up in dorset when do you first remember kind of being presented with an image of what masculinity was it's funny looking back now because i think that for a lot of us guys especially people our age and older, maybe not so much younger now, but I'm 27, so yeah. Um, I grew up wanting to be a soldier as a very young age, sort of like four years old. And I think that kind of stemmed from everything that I was watching on TV, encouraging me to sort of pigeonhole men in a certain light and women in the opposite in many ways. And I think growing up, I sort of was told about gender constructs quite, or like maybe forced into sort of seeing gender constructs from an early age and kind of stereotyping how men should and shouldn't be. So I I had that growing up. I loved playing with like the little toy soldiers and making battle scenes and then knocking them all over and stuff. And then I started sort of playing, I guess, like video games when I was 10 or 11 and it was all like cowboys and and all that stuff of the very early games on PC. So I I had that on one side. And then when I started going to school in Dorset, it's very sports-based or it definitely was back then. The comprehensive I went to was a sports kind of technology thing. So rugby, cricket, football, hockey, all that, that was kind of what you did. And then if you think that I kind of juxtaposed that in many ways, being a a musician with long hair and piercings, I didn't really fit in as such. Um, So You definitely didn't look like a soldier by this point, by the sound of it. uh, Well, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, (laughs) And I think it's, aside from kind of like what you should look like, it was also the era of the Jack Wills, Abercrombie, Hollister thing. So you had to sort of look a certain way as well as that you had to feel and be feel a certain way and be a a certain sort of person. You know, it was all about, I guess, like semi kind of stiff upper lip, which I guess harps back from, I guess, like being in a rugby scrum and getting like an elbow in your face. Like, No, come on, carry on, make the try. Yeah, put your nose back in place and crack on. Yeah, yeah. So so I, I had all of those things going on. I mean, I loved sport, but that wasn't really my thing. Music was the thing. And I think in songwriting, especially... In the early years of songwriting, when you're exploring different genres and, and figuring out how to play instruments, you know, you kind of open a box of vulnerability with songwriting, which is not necessarily the go-to way of life for the Dorset rugby player team. So um, so I did kind of stick out a bit. And I noticed even at that age, of sort of like 15, 16, that masculinity was something that 
I wanted to try and unpick slightly. That's really interesting. I mean, um, going all the way back to when you're talking about when you were four and the idea of wanting to be a soldier mm. or being a cowboy, what about it or what kind of qualities were you looking at in those people that you kind of thought, oh, that's where I need to be or that's what I should be? Well, I guess society kind of back then portrayed the notion that a man should be strong, bulletproof, emotionless, easygoing and get on with it. And I guess that was encapsulated in the the Hollywood John Wayne in the film The Longest Day, which was like my favourite film when I was like six years old, which is funny because it's like a World War II film, but I absolutely loved it. Yeah, that's not many six-year-olds' favourite film, I don't think. Quite a cultured film. Yeah, we're the same age, and I can assure you I was not watching that film when I was Mate, six. Uh, what a great film. Um, and then <laughs> as well as that, my dad was a was a fan of Star Wars in sort of like the 80s and whatever, the original ones. And so they were my favourite films. It was Star Wars and then the longest day John Wayne stuff. So you had like Han Solo, for example, that's effectively like a cowboy of space who was very rugged and uh, just persevered and got on with it and all that kind of stuff. So I think I, yeah, I grew up with connotations of men being that kind of way. And I didn't realize that there's like a fragility to true masculinity that I've finally discovered now. Were there, as you started to, you know, become a, a young musician, were there men that were more like that that you looked up to men who offered a sort of different view of masculinity that replaced people like uh, Han Solo or John Wayne for you it's weird actually looking back because I don't really remember being around many people uh, that that kind of shifted that that stereotype for me I think yeah. it was my own journey that really did that I mean I guess you know we came out the same sort of time as the 1975 and I saw a picture actually the other day of me, our bass player, Matty Healy, outside a hotel that some like fan had taken of us having a chat. And I, I met him and them at a point that I was in a really negative place with like food and I guess like my masculinity, I guess, and mental health. And I think I remember meeting him thinking he's so opposite of everything that I would presume people would summarize as being a man. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, he was very like flamboyant, very honest with his emotions and how he approached situations and I found that really really inspiring but also like honestly I found it kind of uncomfortable because I'd never really been around someone that was that that open um and you know that was what eight years ago now and it's funny because we've come such a long way even in eight years that you know I meet people like that every day and I love it and but at that time it was quite a culture shock for me to come you know from quite a I guess, like inward looking community with regards to masculinity and sexuality and stuff to then be in London with everything going on and diversity. And uh, and it, yeah, it was a real shift for me. So when you were at school and, and a bit more introspective, perhaps in looking into kind of that vulnerability and songwriting and music, when lots of other people were more into kind of the sport tech world, mm. how did that impact on you when you were growing up? I definitely didn't really feel like I fit into that certain category that I was sort of trying to be pushed into my parents would always sign me up for the football team every year without me knowing <laughs> and I was always livid but they were like well you've signed up for it now <laughs> well I haven't really you have signed me up oh it. yeah ex exactly and it, it, it was it was funny because I wanted to kind of ride my BMX and probably chase girls and whatever I get why they did it because they wanted me to maintain friends because all my mates went off to grammar and I didn't so they wanted us to stay in contact I get it but I think I realized quite early on that I was yes yeah, slightly different from a lot of the other guys and it was hard I did feel slightly ostracized especially when I was sort of 15 16 years old and I was wanting to explore kind of my emotions and try and step outside of my comfort zone from like a 
the fashion aspect, you know, having like my nose pierced, like a 14 year old boy getting his nose pierced. That's kind of like, that was a big deal in, in, in my school. Uh, what did your parents think of it as you started to find a path that was slightly different from what they'd imagined for you? How did they react? I don't want this at all to sound like my parents were like wanting me to go a, a certain way. I, no. They absolutely hated the piercings and my tattoos. They <laughs> absolutely hate my tattoos. No parents have ever gone big on tattoos and piercings, no, I don't think. <laughs> no, but my parents are sort of, the crux of my I guess success with the vamps you know they drove me to to pubs every week to do gigs and would I take loans out so I could get a guitar so like my parents have been fundamental in everything to do with my music career so that's brilliant but I think it, it must be really um it must be really difficult for parents to see their children struggling internally with trying to sort of figure out the direction they want to go and I think especially in my line of work what a lot of people do now, it isn't conventional. You know, there's no real security as such with what I do. It was a big moment for me to say to them, right, I'll do my A-levels. So I started the vamps with Brad sort of at the end of my first year of A-levels and I finished my A-levels and then I, I never applied to unis and it was, that was a big step for my parents and I yeah. think they were like, oh, maybe you should still apply. And I was like, no, I, I don't think I want to go down that route. And that was before people, you know, no one really worked from home. No one had... Well, not many people really did what we do, really. Um, so it was a bit of a weird one, that. If that was my parents, I can very much imagine sentences like, just in case the music doesn't work out. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Do, do you think that um, specifically in terms of masculinity, like uh, it might be difficult for you to judge because it's hard to generalise about your own generation, but I'm quite a bit older than I'm 40. And I, you're, Michael, you're the same age as James, right? Yeah, 1993 elite. Yeah. I don't want to think about what year you were born because that, that brings it home <laughs> in sort of horrifying detail. I can remember 1993 pretty well. <laughs> but um, do you think it's getting easier for, uh, I suppose in a way, a question to both of you, like, because uh, I don't feel as if there were, when I was growing up, that many role models of the kind of vulnerability, fragility, male-wise, that you're talking about. I just feel like your generation is a bit more emotionally literate and open about stuff. I feel like there actually has been a, a bit of a shift towards men publicly being more like that. Do you think successive generations of men are getting better at the sort of emotional openness that James is on about? Well, what I think is interesting is what James is just saying about Matt Healy when you met him and kind of feeling like you liked the kind of openness that he had, but there was, from what you were saying, it was kind of almost like a jealousy of kind of being like, I don't have that. Yeah, I think there's like a, there was an inner confidence with Matt that was just alien to everything that I'd known. I mean, as well as like being a bit confused about the sort of person I was, I had like really bad acne for like 15 years and it just like everything just encouraged me to be quite inward with that. But I think, you know, you asked about, I guess, like role models now and stuff. I'm like the first person to slag off social media. Like I think it's absolutely awful for mental health in many ways. And again, this might actually be a bad thing, but social media has encouraged us all to feel like we have to have a viewpoint or say on absolutely everything, regardless of whether we're qualified or not. Very true, yeah. Yeah, and I do wonder whether that's actually consequently meant that men have felt pressured to maybe to speak about something, but in a good way. It's easier to say how you feel now, isn't it, if you're on social media as opposed to speaking to like your dad for example or your mum about something there's it's almost like the bridges are, are easier to cross at the moment because we have so many platforms i think that's really interesting and i agree as well i think that people only ever discuss the negative side of social media of, of us mm. all being in contact but it's not purely negative there are a lot more ways to not just connect with other people but absorb the ideas of other people now mm. when i was 27 we had 
I suppose we have MySpace. Yeah. But, uh, oh, I remember it, MySpace. It wasn't exactly a, uh, a pool of ideas. <laughs> That's how I started, actually. Well, was it? I was yeah. going to say that was too old for you. Yeah, age probably, what would I... 14. That's how I met my manager. He found me on MySpace. So there we go. <laughs> there you go. I think our generation, we grew up with social media. Social media kind of happened in mm. our teens and we therefore kind of grew up with it. And I yeah. think a lot of it can be quite negative in terms of comparing yourself. And a lot of the time we talk about body image as a, a traditionally feminine thing but actually I think it's very similar with men and mm. James you mentioned Abercrombie and Fitch was a huge thing when we were growing up and Hollister and things like that on their bags their shopping bags was literally a man with like a 24 pack of abs and there was this real pressure to look a certain way I suppose and I think social media kind of feeds that in a way yeah I, I mean that bag was what I feel the root of my I hate the words eating disorder because I don't have anorexia. I think body dysmorphia is probably the closest thing I feel I have. But uh-huh. that bag was <laughs> was where it all began. Um, that is fascinating. It is amazing to think of the power wielded by a logo like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And all the cool kids carry that bag. So which bag? Is this Abercrombie? Yeah, or? Abercrombie and Fitch. This is almost, you know, I'm almost not conscious of this at all, but it's obviously an image that's embedded in the mind. It's fascinating that you remember that bag, James. It's funny, actually, you bring it up because a few years ago when I was really, I guess, at the depths of, of having issues with food, I put a picture on, I think, Twitter. I'll find it. I'll try and send it. And it's like like it's the picture of that bag and then what I looked like you know like when I put the tweet up and I'd like literally copied that physique and I was trying to say it in a positive way being like oh for years I've wanted to look like this and now I finally do but actually looking back now it was like it was a horrible thing that I almost couldn't escape especially going back to where I grew up and you know that the rugby player aesthetic and that was kind of in line with the whole Jack Wills Abercrombie thing like in order to be popular in inverted commas and get like attention from the girls in my school you had to look a certain way and and do certain things and and that's kind of what I yeah I I was like stuck on in order to be successful again in inverted commas uh, I had to look that way it's interesting but by now you were popular and successful by any reasonable measures but that idea had not left your head well I, I think it I had issues um to be popular at school but then when I got recognition with the vamps it then perhaps shifted I think into maintaining an element of control over the small area of my life that I still could which was what I put in my body exercising right yeah you mentioned social media I think one of the most dangerous things that we have on social media all the time I get it still on my feed it's like this is what healthy is and you see someone that Mm. has three percent body fat for sure and people say i'll go into the gym six times a week that's healthy this is prime fitness but like that's not really like you might physically feel that you're strong and able to lift certain amount of dumbbells but mentally like i was an absolute dickhead when i had five percent body fat and looked a certain way like i you know i was always hungry i was always snappy my skin was awful and I never felt satisfied. I always make the comparison with fitness to like money. People always think, you know, if you earn a million quid, you're going to be satisfied and happy. But if you have a million quid, I guarantee that you want five million because there's always something bigger and better to go on to. And it's exactly the same with fitness. Like yeah, you can never win, can you? If- you can never win. There's no, yeah, there's no end to it. And that's why it's scary. There's no transparency really with a lot of these people on Instagram because, you know, they put up the pictures of them like shredded. 
and they say like oh two days yeah. to the show and they do like a bodybuilding thing but what people don't see is like for the other 10 months of the year or whatever they're probably a relatively normal physique but we're all we see is a highlight reel on mm. like it's literally called a highlight reel on instagram of people's lives uh, yeah. and i think a lot of people presume that to be the norm when actually it's quite dangerous to think that that's a, a sort of like way of life that you can adopt 12 months of the year hi this is craig robinson from ways to win and support for this podcast comes from invesco qqq the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's really interesting that for someone who's so in the public eye, I mean, we're talking about you having yeah. fans in the Philippines and in, in all of these different places. It's interesting that the pressures there in terms of body image, obviously, I'm assuming there are some from external sources, but they were more internal for you. How have you kind of got to this place now when you can kind of reflect on them and look back at them for what they were? I was very lucky, actually. There was no one, re well, there wasn't anyone in my life sort of in the Vamps team or anyone close to me that said, oh, you need to watch what you eat you need to look a certain way and I know especially well I, I was gonna say that I know especially in girl bands you know people are told what to eat but actually that's everyone at some point you know in well in this industry there are a lot of people that are sort of forced to to do certain things luckily I was never that person so I think you're right in saying that it was definitely internal my kind of struggle and you know as I said I think in the early days before the vamps it was to be accepted or to or to fit in but then it did turn into me having like a yeah a battle with myself about keeping control on an element of my life i mean i still every day i still i still struggle with kind of like those demons but i'm able to do it now almost from like a third person perspective where i can get like for example i've not eaten today yet because i'm trying to fast until midday it's like why am i doing that i have no reason to do that but it's because i know later Kirsty's out so I'll probably get a takeaway it's like it's stupid but but at least I look at that now and I'm like that is an unhealthy thing to do and it's not something that's going to stay for like a week it might just be like one day where it's a bit weird but I think that's really interesting and really valuable for people to hear because often things are couched in terms of like this is my struggle and eventually I won yeah you can't and win. now I'm cool <laughs> and it, you know I think it's good for people to hear with somebody that is as successful as you that yeah certain battles with yourself are not just like over and done with in a week or a year 
or anything. Like, I think it's really important to be able to wake up and, like you say, and think, right, I'm doing this stupid thing again yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. We're much too attached to stories where people have uh, an image problem, body dysmorphia, whatever it might be, and then are able to look back on it and say, anyway, that was me. Yeah. And now I'm... Uh, so, you know, the reality of changing stuff about yourself is much more complicated, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're always a work in progress. Yeah, and I, and I think in some ways I feel a sense of addiction with it. And I think in the earlier years... You know, the early years of the vamps, there was all these like topless photos that I'd post and all this stuff. And I think it, it's obviously easy to just put it down to vanity. But what I was doing to my body was self-destructive. Yeah. And I think I deliberately wanted to push my body in a certain way. It's true what you say about people thinking, oh, that was his story and he solved it. But I think also definitely, I don't know, five years ago, there was a lot of comparisons with saying like, it's not as important as like physical pain. It's like, it's, it's not like having a broken arm, having like an eating disorder. It doesn't just solve itself and then it's done. It's every day and mental health in, in its entirety, actually, for me, it's a journey yeah. where some days I feel amazing and other days I just want to drink at midday. It's like, it's so up and down. And that's, in many ways, that's what makes us human. And that's what makes us fascinating in many ways. Like my dog wakes up feeling happy. She has her food, she has her walk, she goes to bed, same every day. And she's a dog and I love her. But like us humans... I quite often think how nice it would be to be like a dog or a horse or one I of these know. guys that just don't have too many things to worry about. <laughs> but there's a depth to humans that is incredible and brilliant. And I think instead of for years, I, you know, I've said, oh, I hate my mental health, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, it's what makes me who I am. And on those low days, sometimes I can write a song or something that's that's slightly better than it would be if I was in a really good mood. So it's just about acknowledging, you know. Yeah, self-reflection yeah. is is a real gift that we have as humans, which is also something of a curse if you aren't able to turn it into anything creative or positive. But as you say, it's what we are. Yeah. It's what we have to, and especially as men, that's the thing. We talk sometimes about how men are discouraged from reflecting on emotion, but without that, you're not fully alive. You're not mm. fully a human. You do. I think it's interesting to hear you say you have to delve a bit into the things you don't like about yourself in order to live properly yeah i think it's so amazing as well that we have people now who are in the public eye who are open about those sorts of things and are able to talk about those sorts of things are there any role models that you see now that you think he's doing something really important and and brilliant genuinely i i think there's a lot of them now i think you know if you'd asked me five years ago you might be able to think of like one person mm. but i think it's brilliant and obviously, I, I do genuinely think a lot of people just say it for the for the kudos now. But but <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of people that genuinely are making positive steps. I think you know, like the princes coming out a couple of years ago and speaking about their mental health was really good, yeah. despite all the backlash that they got. I think it's amazing, and that heads together which is Williams organization charity, you know, I've, I've worked with them before and, and they're brilliant. I think also like my bandmates have been brilliant. You know, we we all go through things together. And that's really good. But also even I think you realise how far we've come as a society when like my mates from home that still live in Dorset, still moving in those circles in many ways, you know, they are so vocal now about how they feel. And, you know, I've got mates that all my mates are older than me, actually, like I'm the youngest of the group. And then they go up to mid 30s and we all now speak about how we feel. And yet it might take going to the gym and then asking them halfway through, oh, what's going on with that? Because, you know, as, as men, 
sort of open up easier i think when we're doing other things but <laughs> yeah but it, you definitely need an activity or to be in a car not facing each other yeah or, or on a bike yeah, yeah that's the best actually the one great thing about gyms is you can avoid eye contact for a long time <laughs> while having a conversation yeah <laughs> yeah 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 but you're right that's got to be a change that's got to be something which is changing for the better yeah. i don't think my crop of men would still say we were that good at that i think that's something which men are discovering yeah like i'm mates with um a couple of the guys that do the sas channel for show and foxy mm. in particular i went to namibia with him to to drive some land rovers which was amazing and you know we had long drives there i think we did two thousand miles in five days or something i mean it was just us two in the car and he's what he must be what early 40s very different background he was in many ways what i would presume to be the stiff upper lip like bulletproof guy when i was growing up he's literally the soldier that you wanted to be when yeah. you grew up exactly he probably is literally bulletproof in fact yeah. well yeah i imagine <laughs> he is it's funny he actually did a lot of his military training where i grew up in dorset so and we have a lot of kind of mutual interests from down there and i think people like him coming out and speaking about how they feel and this feels like i'm just about to give him a massive plug for his book but he does have a, a book which which is really good and he speaks about kind of the struggle with mental health and I think having people like that that are willing to step outside of a place that perhaps they wouldn't have felt comfortable stepping out of sort of 10 years ago, I think that's really good for the mental health debate. Mm, definitely. Yeah. You've got to run fairly shortly to speak to some Japanese fans. <laughs> yeah. So we do have a final question that we always ask, and I normally word it in terms of, um, you know, Build-A-Bear workshops? Yeah. Imagine it wasn't bears and it was just, you had to build a man from scratch. Mm. And if you had to build in... It's something we, that Michael thinks about quite a bit. I think about building men <laughs> often. <laughs> <laughs> very single uh, three <laughs> qualities what would you put into the ideal or not the ideal man i suppose but the most well-equipped man what three qualities would you give them i think vulnerability is really good yeah and with that i mean acknowledging a vulnerability i was thinking yesterday i went skiing in january i'm not saying i'm the perfect man by the way but i went <laughs> skiing in january and i am um, the first time i'd ever gone we went with like a couple of the guys in the band and like connor's like a pro snowboarder and I was really struggling. And I was with my fiance and I was like, look, Kirsty, like, I'm really struggling here. And she was like, oh, come on, it's fine. And I just like broke down in tears. Like, and, <laughs> and like, it was really weird. And I think like something like switched there. And I was like, this is how I feel. Yeah. yeah. And it just meant that we could then not have to ski again. Amazing. Yeah. Well worth <laughs> I'd cry to get out of that. Oh, mate, it was, it was horrible. <laughs> so I think vulnerability is really important. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. And you're right, the thing is accepting vulnerability because all of us have got vulnerabilities whether we like it or not. So it's just about how many layers that you cover it up with. Yeah, exactly. Let's think. Uh, I think compassion. I think compassion's important. And mm. I mean also compassion for yourself, not in a way that's like self-obsession, but I think loving the person that you are and acknowledging that, as we've discussed, the person that you think you're maybe going to be or should be is not always going to be that person and that that's a good thing so yeah. appreciating how you tick if you can figure it out is really good and then i guess like a, a willingness to learn so we're always learning and you know especially going from dorset to london the amount of stuff that i was then just like amongst was incredible and i think having yeah willingness to to learn and accept amazing that's Really wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us, James. It's been really interesting hearing your, hearing your experience. You're going to get different questions from the Japanese fans, I reckon. <laughs> they might have seen an Abercrombie bag. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. And your honesty and openness and sort of sense of still grappling with stuff is really refreshing, I think. Thank you. It's really nice to hear someone who doesn't talk about the end point 
of yeah. a journey. That's really lovely. Oh, thank you. Yeah, especially for me. It's depressing to me when people are in their 20s and they've already yeah. sorted stuff out. <laughs> Would you like any more compliments or shall we leave it yeah. there? <laughs> <laughs> You've been very kind, both of you. Thank we you. We hear that pop stars are, you know, really like attention and stuff. <laughs> oh, you've been brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Menkind. You can find us on social media at Menkind Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Or you can send us an email, menkindpodcast at gmail.com. And we have had quite a number of lovely emails and messages from listeners. Those are all hugely appreciated and we'll be reading some of those out in the uh, next episode. And that next episode is with a fantastic guest from RuPaul's Drag Race, Crystal. You've chosen to keep your hair, your chest yeah. hair and your hairy armpits. <laughs> why, why? I don't know if you had to yell that at him. Hairy armpits. Hairy armpits. Can <laughs> you say it really low and sultry for us? Hairy armpits. And that is the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> well, this dog shit year is very nearly done and dusted. See you in 2021 with a load of great guests and a well again, Michael. It's not quite the same doing this on my own. Yeah, see you there. 